Wonder how that woman came up with her cool idea and turned it into a business? Listen in to find out how. Welcome to Women Inspired. I'm your host, Linda Ugalow, and on this show, I interview artists, healers, changemakers, and entrepreneurs about what fires them up and how they put their dreams into action. And sometimes, many, a lot of times, we find ourselves in transition. And today, my guest is an expert in transitions. Welcome, Linda Rossetti. Thank you, Linda. So tell me about what are transitions when we think about, what do you think about when you say transitions? I am so thrilled you asked me that question right up front because I have to tell you what I've found in my work, right, I've studied transitions for more than a decade now, is that we really misunderstand transitions as a society, right? Mostly we think of transitions as big changes, right? We decide to um, move across the country or move across the world or we get a divorce or get married or change jobs or careers. And what I've found is that transitions really are none of those, even though every day we all talk about every one of those things and more as transitions. But what I've found is transitions really are shifts in the way we think about ourselves, in our identity. And they're very different from change. And so my work has really inspired me to try to help the world think differently about transition. So um, I find myself in a wonderful spot uh, in one that I obviously care very deeply about. That sounds like a, a TED Talk in the making. <laughs> don't, don't I wish, don't I wish. A new idea worth spreading. So I'm a little confused though. You're not saying that uh, a move or a divorce or a death in the family is not a transition, but that it's a broader definition of what transition is. Yes, so you know, it's interesting. I, when, I, um, when I started this work, I kind of arrived at it by mistake, right, unexpectedly. And I'll tell you about that in a moment. But I really had to figure out what was happening. And so I went and looked at existing research and found that there have been very good thinkers who've thought about transition and change differently. And one, William Bridges, who in the 70s wrote a great book, and you might know it, it's called um, Transitions, Making Sense of Life's Changes. And in there, he talks about change as very goal-oriented. Like, oh, you know, um, I might need to change jobs, or, um, you know, we need to have a smaller house or a bigger house, or what have you. But transitions from my research, you know, when I, I first got into this, I sat down with more than 200 adults who had transitioned. And what I learned is that transition is really a process that helps us re-examine who we are and how we make meaning in the world. And when those things start to shift, that's really when there's a transition. And by the way, we can, we can go through many changes while we're transitioning, um, but transition is a very broad kind of opportunity for growth for lack of a better word. So it sounds like a more subtle process. How does somebody, does somebody like initiate the transition, you know, with intention or is it something that they find themselves in the midst of and then try to make sense of? So it's a fantastic question because very often people say, oh, I had no choice. I had to fill in the blank. You know, my spouse passed away. You know, I had to know now be a person, a single person. Or, you know, my company moved and so all of the jobs were lost, right? So people very often think of transition as something that's forced upon them. But in fact, my research has caused me to conclude that it's very different from that, that there are many triggers that we encounter in life, right? And a trigger can be any one of a number of events or even feelings like a, dying, a death of a spouse or the loss of a job or a desire to go in another direction with a career 
or even a feeling of people have said, oh, I was bored. But all of those triggers in and of themselves aren't the transition. What those do is they deposit us at this moment where we're asked to make a choice on how we want to proceed. And it's that moment, that's the opportunity, when those of us who know about transition can say, wow, what's happening here? Is it that I just need a change, or is there something more? And my work is really trying to build a transition literacy for people so that they understand the context and can make an excellent choice at that moment when they're deposited at that opportunity. You know, I think of it kind of like um, seeing a scary movie twice, right? You know, when you see it the first time, you know, you're like, <gasps> right? You know, white knuckle, oh no. But once you know when those scary parts come, all of a sudden you can kind of um, experience the plot a little differently, right? And, and really that's um, what my work is like, right? I, I, I try to teach individuals, corporations, all sorts of organizations about what transition is so that when they're going through it, it isn't, oh, it's, wait a second, you know, I, I can dignify this moment and actually make an excellent choice for myself. And so my work is really all about um, advocacy, um, more research. I collaborate with lots of organizations. Um, I partner with nonprofits. I work with individuals and corporations. All about this notion of what is transition and how can we navigate it successfully. Well, tell, tell me or tell the audience, what is it that a corporation would find useful, helpful? Sure. in having this kind of work? Um, it, there's really, um, I guess, two camps where that comes up. The first is when corporations are using mergers or acquisitions to try to help them grow, right, as a corporate strategy. And very often their leaders are left with trying to manage um, a lot of adversity, right? It can be trying to merge teams into one or changing direction. And so um, my work in those environments is training leaders on how to navigate transition, right? Giving them the tools to do that successfully. So that's one camp of my kind of corporate work. Can we pause there? Because I'd love to dig into that a little bit. What are the kinds of tools that companies need to be considering? Yeah, so um, a one illustration is kind of a value tool, right? Very often when you have company A and company B coming together, they come with different core values, right? And all of a sudden you have hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of employees that are coming together and they're supposed to operate in tandem, right? So one of the techniques we teach them is um, a new narrative on how to integrate those values so that they can operate together with authenticity. So can you give an example of what two different values might be? Well, so um, one company may come and say, well, the customer is always right. And another may say, well, our value is um, to be aligned with great technology. Well, how can we bring those together? And so we go in and we teach leaders um, how to really lead their teams with a narrative that integrates both of those. And that's, you know, something that's subtle but very difficult, right? You know, mostly managers are on the field. You know, if I'm running a sales organization or if I'm running an R&D department or if I'm a manager in a finance or administration area, you know, most people are functional experts in the places where they work. And what they lack is this ability to kind of get the nuanced script on how to make all the employees feel comfortable and valued so that they can do their best work. And so that work is all about helping leaders 
be effective in giving them lots of tools, not just narratives, but other tools, so that they can be fantastic in their functional area, but also understand how to make this acquisition or merger work. Mm. Right, so that's one bucket. And the other bucket of corporate work I do, which is also very cool, is I work with financial planners or large organizations that have financial planners or others that work with people who are in transition. Right? Very often if, if somebody loses a spouse or if they go through a divorce, they're turning to experts like lawyers or financial planners to get advice. And so um, I often work with those people and train them on what is happening in, in transition so that they can work more effectively with their clients. Mm. So I do lots of very cool work. And you know, when I think of, you know, I have two teenagers, and when I talk to them about what I'm doing in any one week, uh, it's fantastic because there's a whole portfolio of things, but it's all very rigidly around this notion that transition is a very important concept for adults everywhere, both for our individual selves and in our work worlds. And making sure people have a literacy on what it is and how to navigate it is incredibly important. So I do all sorts of fun things. Yeah, and, and you're so passionate about it. And I know there must be a story of how yeah. you came to this, so I'd love to hear that. Yeah, so you know, it, it is, it's, it caught me by surprise. And when it happened, I had no vocabulary for it. So um, just about 10 years ago, I, um, I got to a moment where I can only describe as having the ground pulled out from underneath me, right? I, I uh, had two young kids at the time. I was working for a, a global corporation in an executive role, and I was doing laps around the planet on airplanes. So it was an intense time. But it was similar to all the jobs I've had. I've been very fortunate in my career. At one point, I was the CEO and founder of a technology company uh, that ultimately got venture capital, which is a big hoot because less than 10% of venture capital goes to female-owned companies, mm. right? So mm -hmm. these are big victories for me. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I've always worked at a pretty intense pace. But this one time, I was in Europe on business, and I got a call from my husband. And right when the cell phone line engaged, the first thing he said was, she's fine. And I was like, oof. And by the way, she at the time was my kindergarten daughter, and she was fine, right? In the grand scheme of parenting, she was fine. There was a kind of snafu with scheduling, and she was left at school, but she was completely fine. She got to have an adventure with her favorite teacher on the planet, and all was well, right? Fortunate, right? The, the moon and the stars aligned that day for our family, right? But in that moment, it's as if something punched through a wall for me. All of the ways that I had used to kind of make sense of, you know, what was right, why I did things, et cetera, just kind of fell away. And so I found myself in this very odd time where I really couldn't, I couldn't reset. I couldn't hit the reset button and just keep going. And I really couldn't describe to anyone what was happening. And so it was a very difficult time. And I ultimately left that job and started consulting. And and I was fascinated by the response of everyone around me because they, were, they would look and like, oh, Linda, nice to see you. What are you doing? And, and they would look at me quizzically when I would say, well, you know, I, I'm kind of focusing on this thing, but I'm not entirely sure how it fits. And, and people, were, people were strange about it, right? They were like, oh, that's kind of strange, but okay. And so I was shocked not only by my own inability to process what was happening, but I was always also fascinated by others' reaction to it. They're like, oh, you know, did you have a breakdown? Are you, what's going on? Like, 
did Steve leave you? Like, what's happening here? There's clearly something wrong. And so those two things kind of fascinated me. And long-winded answer to your question, but it inspired me to go talk to other people because I couldn't find an answer anywhere I looked. You know, I looked at TED Talks. I, you know, I looked at every book I could find, YouTube videos, everything, and I couldn't find the answer. And ultimately, the answer came in listening to other people because as I listened, I, I, I talked to people from all different walks of life, Linda. I, I talked with people who had never worked out of the home. I talked to people who had worked their entire lives and were looking at retirement. I talked to young people, old people, people who were single, people who were married, you name it, the variety. And I kept hearing patterns as I listened to their stories. And I was like, wait a minute, what is going on? And so it was the voices of other people who kind of sent me on a path that led me to research. And I spent, um, the better part of three years talking with hundreds of people about what happened and major changes in our lives. And it was from that that I learned so much about transition. Because when that happened to me, when I was traveling and I had a daughter who had an immediate need, I didn't have the word transition. I, I may have used it, but I certainly didn't know what it meant. Um, so what do you think happened to you in that moment? Was What was in your mind? Was it like, oh my God, I'm away all the time and I really need to be with my daughter or my family. What, what was it that, that was getting triggered for you? You know, I don't think, it, while, I, while I was um, certainly away a lot, I, I, don't, I don't recall it as really having to do with, you know, oh goodness, I, um, I need to be around more, my family needs me. It, it had much more to do with, um, gee, this is it. I've worked for, I've worked for 20 plus years you know, 12 and 15 hours a day, every day, and this is it? There's got to be something more. This, this, this can't be it. And, you know, so I, I think it had, more, for me in that moment, it had much more to do with a, um, a realization that there was an alignment with things that really spoke to me and the things I was spending ungodly amounts of time on. Mm. And that was, and, and by the way, now after talking with so many about transition, that moment is different for everyone, right? Because we, we're all kind of this collection of experiences and beliefs. Mm -hmm. and, and ultimately, we all experience triggers in many forms, right? Mm -hmm. Mine happened to be an event with my young child, but mm -hmm. there are zillions, right? Mm -hmm. and, and for those of us who are fortunate enough to understand transition, it is really dignifying those moments and saying, oh, wait a minute, what choices do I have right now? Mm. And, and how, can I, how can I really use those to accelerate kind of who I am? Mm -hmm. And so that, that's really transition. Transition is about those shifts, those shifts in recognition and really investing um, in, in what they're saying to us. And being able to make choices that feel more in alignment or move you someplace yes. where, a, where you, you feel like you'd love to move into or grow into or expand Towards. Yes, and I have to tell you, of all the people that I spoke with, there wasn't one who didn't articulate kind of a benefit from going on this path, right? It can be mm -hmm. very scary, mm -hmm. right? Because ultimately, when you think of it, what you're doing is you're kind of decoupling from this, this 
this identity or pieces of your identity, this place where you, it's safe, you've known, mm -hmm. there's some kind of credibility with those around you, mm -hmm. and you're saying, you know, that doesn't quite fit right now, I need to alter that. Mm -hmm. And that is a courageous act, right? right? And so no one that I spoke with, and I spoke with 270 people, not one said that it wasn't actually a process that didn't yield a benefit. And mm. that benefit was in lots of different ways. Whether or not it, it seemed like the, ex, uh, the trigger was, came externally, yes, or whether it was like an internal. Yes, and all of those happen, mm -hmm. right? Internal and external. Mm -hmm. And some of them are voluntary, some of them are involuntary, right. right? But ultimately, regardless of that trigger, it leads us to this choice. And, you know, I, I kind of live in this world that if we can inform people about that choice, it takes away the scary parts of the movie. And people mm -hmm. will say, oh, hang on, that's not so scary. Mm -hmm. Really where I'm going to is this growth place. And it's so rich and joyful, I really want to mm -hmm. go there, even though it might be a little scary first off. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm sure not everybody feels capable of making those kinds of choices. What, right. what happens if they, what's the consequence of not it, grabbing the opportunity to make a conscious choice. Well, I think part of educating people about transition is bringing down that risk level, right? Because it can seem terrifying to move away from something known to the unknown, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I've found in the work, because after doing the original research, I now um, have spent the better part of 18 months working with a cohort of people through how to do it. And what I've found is that if you break it down into very small increments, um, no one consequence is so dire that it will kind of, you know, it's either risk or fail, you know, yes or no. It's really trying to um, unbundle the steps and have people begin, but begin in small ways. And so that really leads us to a path that says, you know, transitioning is not about one swing of the bat, right? You know, I have little kids and, you know, I, I, I never really paid attention to the game, but one of them played baseball and it kind of astonished me when I realized that seven out of ten times, the best in the game strike out, right? You know, we have these people who have 300 plus averages. That means seven times every time they swing that bat, they miss, right? So, so the same is true, you know, when we think about life, it's like, you know, people are like, oh, oh, I could never. Well, we need to really reframe what never means because if we can bring down that risk level, we just need to begin and Put, it, put ourselves in a place of learning, mm -hmm. because then when we can learn, we can constantly refine what that future needs mm -hmm. to be. Yeah. And so there's a whole process, and I, ha I wrote a book based on my research and findings, and in the book it talks about a process on how to actually begin and, and really start this path of growth that, by the way, is available to everyone. And you might find it interesting, in some of the research I found, there was this great academic research that was done that said the majority of U.S. adults actually never transition, in my definition of the word, right? Mm. That many try, but the great majority never do. And my hypothesis is that's because we don't understand it. Because mm. if we understood it, the draw <clears throat> of that engagement and alignment and joy would be so great mm -hmm. that everyone would. Yeah. I wonder, what do you think of this? Sometimes I think about our education system where we are rewarded for not making mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I know personally that's impacted my ability to explore and experiment and feel okay. Right. Um, 
trying things out that may not lead to an immediate result right. because I see that as making a mistake or a failure. Sure, a failure. Do you do you feel like there do you see that happening or do you think that may be at play with some people? Oh, I think it's it's a huge part of people's decision structure to say, oh I can't fail. And I, I think our our educational system, not just at elementary or high school, but even higher ed, um, we do a tremendous disservice to people by not educating them in terms of two things. One is educating them about transition, right? What it means to grow. Because really society conditions us to head in the other direction when we encounter these, you know, triggers, right? Society teaches us to tamp it down, to stay, stay strong, quickly put it away, right? And not dignify the silence and say, hey, there might be something here, right? But the other thing I think that is, is probably interesting to think about is the education system also gives us a vocabulary that in itself is very limiting, right? We do this binary vocabulary. We've succeeded, we've failed. We've arrived, we haven't. And from my work, and my hope is that the education system will adopt this, is that it's so much more powerful to adopt the vocabulary of learning and experimentation, right? That, that really, in order to proceed, if we choose to transition, it isn't about picking that next success, but it's really establishing a posture of learning and that experimentation and being able to derive a learning from the experiment and to do that repetitively as we move forward. Mm. And that's a very different set of vocabulary than you know, what's you know, uh, introduced to our you know, young kids and even old kids. Uh, you know, I, I have teenagers, as I mentioned, and it's fascinating to watch how kind of the pre-college application process you know, is even present in the eighth grade. You know, it's every test can't be a failure because otherwise you'll never, you know, you'll never amount to anything. So what you articulate is pervasive, right? It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And again, I go back to it's great if we can have everybody watch a scary movie twice. Mm. Because once we know when those scary parts are, we can all of a sudden have a really different conversation about that movie because mm -hmm. there's incredible opportunity to think about those things that are going to energize us, those things that have value and meaning for us. Um, there's so much energy that's kind of locked in that, that as, even as we dip a toe in the water, it kind of comes up. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's the most incredibly uh, enlivening experience. Yeah. Ever. So what can we do, like in our day-to-day -day lives, how can we utilize this knowledge, this, um, like how can we make, I know you, you talk about making a great year. Yes. How do we make a great year? Well, I think, let's do, let's think. One, one thing that you could do is, oh, there's so many, I'm, I'm debating which is the best one to talk about. I think the best thing we can do is to play an awareness game as we go through the year, right? And try to bring our awareness up to how, um, how we encounter things that we perceive are barriers, right? Very often people say, oh, I couldn't because, right? The mortgage, the mother-in-law. That the, won't work because. Because, right? Mm -hmm any barrier, right, is to play an awareness a game around barriers. 
in the awareness game is not to try to say, oh, this is how I'm going to jump over it or bash through it or not let it stop me. I don't want anyone to worry about that. What I want you to do is take one moment and to think about how that barrier influences you and bring your awareness to that. Right? So, for example, if I say, you know, my barrier is um, I'm terrified to speak on camera. Terrified, right? And so I never do it, right? Except when you invite me, right? Never do it, right? And so instead of saying, oh, this is how I'm going to break that barrier, what I want you to do is sit for a minute and say, okay, how does that barrier influence you? And what I come to is, oh, well, that barrier means that I don't have an opportunity to make connections that could help me further educate other people. And boy, that's a very critical thing because that lives deep in my heart. That's what I want to do, right? So the trick is, and any of us can do it, you can do it while you're driving home in the car, right? Identify the barrier, dignify it, say, okay, I have a real barrier. And forget what society has taught us about beat it, no, jump no over judgment. it. No judgment. No judgment, right? <clears throat> Simply say, how does that barrier influence me? And by that simple recognition, I assure you, that new ideas, you'll be able to have an absolutely new conversation with yourself that you, you didn't even know you were missing. And that will be incredibly powerful. That's a great suggestion. That's I'm glad. Suggestion. I'm glad. So you do, speaking of speaking, you yes. do some speaking yourself. Mm -hmm. And how has that been for you? I love to speak, right? I, um, I find it a, a critical way for me to help spread my message, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I view myself as an evangelist at some level, mm -hmm. right? Which is to say, I need to touch people. But how I speak has changed radically. And that's been a big learning for me, right? When I started speaking about this, it was all about, um, let me tell you all the data and the facts and all that. Because in my corporate life, you know, I was told that that's how you, that's how you succeed, is you know the facts and you know where the risks are around the facts. But I think my ability to connect with audiences has changed radically since I walked away from all of that. And now my speaking is all about storytelling and sharing not only my story, but the stories of those who are so kind to bring me to their most important moments. And, and that's changed my speaking a lot. Right? It's, it's a very uh, personal experience for everyone in the audience. And I think they feel they connect with me and my message so much more. Yeah, we all love stories. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's amazing what we recall, yes. right, once we hear a story. Right. So you mentioned your book. What's the name of it? The book is called Women and Transition, Reinventing Work and Life. And it is, um, it is a, lovely, uh, a lovely book that is available on Amazon. Um, as an audio and as a physical book. And uh, I know that as part of being on the show, we had talked about offering a book to your listeners, mm -hmm. um, which is it OK if I talk Absolutely. about how to do that? Yeah. Right. So the book has um, a website. And I'm going to show it again and say it again for those who are just listening. It's women, plural, W-O-M-E-N, and transition. And if you write out all of those three words, dot com, you get to the book's website. And there's an area on the website that is for contacts. Mm -hmm. And if you just fill in your information at contact and put your name, Linda, in the, in the contact area, I will put uh, everyone's name in a hat and pull out a lucky winner for the book. So please just go to womenandtransition.com, fill out the contact form, just put Linda in the, in the title area, 
and we'll see who wins. And if somebody would prefer an audiobook, we have that too. But my work, it's very exciting. I love, um, I love the fact that the book is there and I hear from so many people. It's five-star rated on Amazon, which is a real blessing. People have been so kind to share their feedback. Uh, but I've also um, started a podcast and I frequently blog and uh, do my best to stay in touch with people. I have an active Twitter account. All of that is available on the book's website. You can find it okay, there. Okay, so the best way for people to contact you yes. is through the book's website. Yes. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this wonderful, subtle, and interesting way of us understanding ourselves and becoming more of who we want to be. Linda, thank you. It's been a pleasure. So I have been so inspired by this show and I hope you have too and if you have something coming up where you are wanting to speak about your passion and you're feeling a little bit nervous I don't want you to feel that way so I have a free gift that you can download a guided visualization for speaking confidence you can get that at lindaugalo.com forward slash speaking confidence and be sure to join us on the next episode of Women Inspired Thank you for listening to Women Inspired. The show is recorded live in the studios of Bedford TV in Massachusetts. Music courtesy of Sheik Gamin. If you like this episode, please leave a review or comment. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or watch all the TV episodes of Women Inspired with the show notes and links at www.lindayugalo.com forward slash TV.